Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly. Good morning. You can respond through the masks. I know you're there. <laughs> Try teaching with people with masks on. Like, are they frowning? Are they smiling? Are they gritting their teeth? What's it, what's it like underneath there? Anyway, uh, some of you are going, I do teach. I do make presentations with people having masks on. I know what that's all about. My name is John Ferguson, and I'm the community pastor here. And it's really great to, to be here this morning. What a beautiful day. It's incredible. Yesterday, today, got rid of some of that humidity, just warm, beautiful temperatures, sunny outside. Yeah, it's good stuff. And how cool is it to see what happened at camp and, you know, for our students? And I don't know if you experienced that yourself growing up. I was fortunate enough I did, not quite on that scale, but still, you know, camp in the summer for me was a really powerful, meaning, meaningful experience. And so to see students like that, having the opportunity to, to engage with that across all our locations in Chicagoland was really powerful. And also a great reminder that, you know, it's true. When you are generous here at Community, uh, you're giving students like that an opportunity maybe to experience what you experienced or maybe to experience something you wish you would have. And so what a, what a cool thing that they get to do that. So thank you for your generosity. You know, I think we would all agree that um, a part of growing up is messing up. Are you with me? A part of growing up is messing up. And, uh, you know, kids just have a tendency to do that. My daughter, who is now 22, and she'd uh, hate it to know, she would hate to know that I'm talking about her right now. But um, when she was a little one, she was extremely cute, of course, took after her mom, thankfully. But like, like most kids, she would get herself into trouble from time to time. And what was hilarious is that when we would confront her with whatever she just did uh, wrong, she would deny, deny, deny. I mean, she would just hunker down and absolutely deny that she did anything wrong. And then it wouldn't take long until she would start to feel bad about it. She'd feel bad about not only what she did, but she'd feel bad about the fact that she'd lied about what she did. Like the time that she and her cousin uh, decided to cut their own bangs. Anybody else ever do that? Not me, I'm just asking anybody else, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, or the time when she crawled out of the window of her brother's bedroom onto the, uh, the roof of our front porch. No railing. Very scary. Could have been bad. Anyway, she would do just about anything to avoid confessing to whatever it was that she'd done. But, you know, we could always tell that she was lying because whenever she was not telling the truth, she would put her tongue in the side of her mouth like that. And it was a dead giveaway every time, you know. Now, unfortunately, in high school, she stopped putting her tongue in her mouth and we didn't always know when she wasn't leveling with us. Would have been nice if she'd have kept that going. But you know, like most kids, uh, you know, she did her share of messing up, but at least she did not do what two-year-old two Leo Belknap did. Now we came across this story uh, in the Washington Post and apparently Leo's mom had previously let him help her shred um, unwanted paper and particularly mail. And so when Leo came across this envelope full of $1,000 in cash, you can guess what he did. And here is the result. 
yeah, I know. That's, that is like really painful, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and when kids, you know, mess up, we do what you, some of you just did. We groan, right? But eventually we laugh after all these stories are great fodder at graduations and at weddings. And then, of course, if you're a pastor, you know, every one of your kids' stories is always fair game. But what about when we mess up? What about when we mess up? And, and I'm not talking about, you know, spilling a cup of coffee or maybe backing up into a telephone pole. I'm talking about, you know, the real screw-ups. You know, when we hurt another person or when we commit an unethical or immoral act or, you know, when we just plain sin. What then? So today we're continuing this series, and I love in this series titled, When You Are... And last week, we began to discover how the Psalms, which if you, if you have an actual um, hardback or paperback Bible, if you open it up to the middle, oftentimes you'll land in Psalms in the Old Testament. But we're learning about how Psalms can help us connect with God in the midst of just about whatever we might be going through. The Psalms are actually written as a prayer book for the people of God to sing. Yeah, it was written as a prayer book for the people of God to sing. Author Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, They represent the experience of men and women who have prayed in every conceivable circumstance across 30 centuries. Now think about that. So what we're reading, is that powerful? It's something that others have read for 30 centuries. And it's helped them also get closer to God. So when we read, pray, or even sing these psalms, I mean, we do so with millions of other people. And that they've always been helpful in moving people closer to God. Now, many of the Psalms are attributed to David, uh, you know, the shepherd boy uh, who eventually killed the giant Goliath, became the greatest king Israel ever knew. That David. Uh, now, some scholars aren't certain whether or not David wrote all the Psalms that are attributed to him, but they still believe that the Psalms are a reflection of events that actually occurred in his life. And David's life contains so many lessons that can help us learn how to pursue God no matter what life brings our way. Because just like us, just like all of us, David experienced all sorts of ups and downs. All sorts of ups and downs. There were times when gratitude and praise just, I mean, like, just completely flowed out of David. There were other times when remorse or brokenheartedness was absolutely overwhelming for him. And so today we're going to look at what is probably the ugliest chapter in David's life. Uh, David was king of Israel, and he messed up royally. Couldn't help it. But his behavior in this story today actually is quite shocking. And again, our circumstances may be different, but I think all of us, if you think about it, and you don't have to think too hard, we have moments of regret, right? Times when we've stumbled, ways that we've hurt other people. And so today we're going to look at how the Psalms can help us when we are remorseful. We're going to look at how the Psalms can help us when we are remorseful. And to start, we really need to acknowledge this reality. And it's this, every one of us sins. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. You sin, I sin, we all sin. The Apostle uh, John, one of Jesus' closest uh, friends and followers, says this. He says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And yet in our culture, uh, we don't really like that word sin, do we? I mean, we don't. I think we could all agree. Uh, aren't you glad you came today? We're talking about sin. Isn't this just exciting and fun? You're probably on your smartphones right now saying, all your friends, hey, you got to come. The pastor's talking about sin today. This is going to be awesome. But you're already here. <laughs> but many people, I think, try to uh, trivialize sin 
or maybe they just reject it as irrelevant. And uh, then sadly, others, uh, quite honestly, have used it to induce just tremendous amounts of guilt. Uh, but I think our resistance to the reality of sin is often what leads to much of the pain and brokenness that we see around us and actually um, experience personally. And a wise teacher once said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Think about that. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. And personally, I got to tell you, I found that to be true. And you see, that's because sin isn't really so much about breaking rules. Sin really is about breaking relationships, or I should say fracturing relationships. Sin is about fracturing our relationship with God. It's about fracturing our relationship with each other. And it's about fracturing our relationship with creation. And I got to tell you, anytime I try to convince myself that my sin won't have that effect, I'm just kidding myself. And I can tell you, I've never personally found sin to have a long-term payoff. I have personally never found sin to have a long-term payoff. It always leads to pain and brokenness. Oh, it's attractive. Sin is attractive, right? Otherwise, why would we commit a sin, all right? We think it's going to pay off, but I have never found it to have a long-term payoff. And it doesn't take long either to relive the ways I've messed up. Uh, maybe you can relate to that. Often these memories, I think, are filled with shame, right? And I would guess that many of you have the same experience. Uh, even talking about it right now may cause you to feel the weight of, of some of that all over again. But on the flip side, I think we often, often hear this refrain too. Um, you know, as long as no one gets hurt, it's okay, right? As long as no one gets hurt, it's okay. And you know what I found? Somebody always gets hurt. And we have an incredible tendency, I think, to justify our attitudes and actions. Uh, the authors of the book, uh, Mistakes Were Made, um, but not by me, in parentheses, says this. And they argue that our tendency to justify our actions is more powerful and, de and deceptive than an explicit lie. They say self-justification allows people to convince themselves that what they did was the best thing they could have done. In fact, come to think of it, it was the right thing. There was nothing else I could have done. Over time, as the self-serving distortions of memory kick in, we come to believe our own lies, little by little. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? <laughs> like, ouch. But I just want to say, you know, whether you tend to wallow, uh, wallow in shame or if you're more prone to justify yourself, both of these responses keep us from what we really need. And you know what that is? It's grace. Let me just say that again. Whether you tend to be the kind of person who, who kind of wallows in shame or you tend to justify what you've done, either one of those responses keep us from getting what we desperately need, and that's grace. And you see, in the light of grace, uh, the good news, folks, is that remorse can actually be a good thing because it helps us find our way back to God. Our mission here at Community is helping people find their way back to God. And we say, yeah, that's, that's a, a one-time event in our life, but it's also an ongoing process. We're constantly finding our way back to God, right? As we confess and we come back to him and we experience his grace over and over again. Now, David knew remorse. Uh, his indiscretions today would probably put him on the front page of the New York Times. And if you're not familiar with this part of this story, it's one of the ugliest chapters in all of Scripture. Okay, so we're talking about sin, and now we're going to talk about one of the ugliest passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Again, aren't you glad you're here today? <laughs> but as king of Israel, David was the most powerful man in the region. 
And in his early days as king, uh, he used that power to benefit and protect his citizens. But in this case, David uses his power and abuses it for his own pleasure. So here's what happens. One day, David is on the roof of his house when he looks down on the house next door and sees a beautiful woman bathing. An aide tells David that that's Bathsheba and her husband is a soldier on the front lines fighting in your army. But David sends messengers to get her anyway. Now, there's little doubt that Bathsheba is powerless to resist a king, and so he sleeps with her. Then when she becomes pregnant, David has her husband killed on the front lines to cover up his sin. I told you this was a pretty intense story. And while initially it appears that David got away with this shameful behavior, make no mistake, when we read this, it says, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. All right, it looks like maybe he's going to get by with it, but it was clear that the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And, and though this story, you know, is thousands of years old, it's not really an old story at all, is it? As a matter of fact, I think some would say it all sounds way too familiar. Stories of abuse of power and cover-ups are in the headlines almost every week. And sadly, too many of these stories are in Christian organizations or, or even in churches. And as we've seen, leaders often, like David, go to great lengths to try to cover up their sin. And I kind of feel like at this point, I, I just want to, before I move on, even acknowledge the vast number of people who um, suffer, have suffered from some form of abuse or another. Um, you know, the research now says that nearly one in four women, nearly one in six men. And so I just want to say, um, if you're here today and you carry scars from someone who abused their power, I am genuinely sorry that that happened. Um, it, what happened to you was wrong, and my prayer is that you will find support and healing right here in this community because you matter to God and you matter to us, and you are loved. But you know, this story isn't um, about sin out there, you know, somewhere in powerful people or institutions. It's a story that's meant to cause us to look inside, right in here. And remember, the stories that we find in Scripture are meant to challenge us to, to look at our own lives, to get honest with ourselves, and to ask the question, where have I sinned and in what ways have I hidden that sin? All right, we got to ask that question. Where have I sinned and in what ways have I hidden that sin? Remember, every one of us sins. And so my question is this, are we willing to get honest about it? Are we willing to face the reality of what we've done? And um, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not always the first to admit <laughs> when I've done something wrong. You can ask my wife, or please don't. That's probably not a good idea, actually. But you see, honesty and ownership can make a huge difference, right? And when we turn the page on this chapter of David's life, God raises up a prophet, Nathan, to confront David about his sin. Now, Nathan goes about confronting David in sort of a roundabout way, if you will. He actually tells David a story in which a rich man welcomes a traveler into his home, but rather than prepare a meal for the traveler from his own stockpile of resources, this rich man takes the sole lamb belonging to a poor man in order to feed this traveler. Did you catch that? As David listens to Nathan telling the story, he's enraged. He's mad at this rich man. Until Nathan utters these words and he says, David, you are the rich man. And David realizes the story is about him. He has committed this injustice. He is the one who stands uh, condemned. And it's a critical point in David's story. 
And I don't know, maybe you've experienced something similar when confronted with sin. And David has a choice to make, right? He can choose the road of denial. He can make excuses, choose to abuse his power all over again. After all, he's the king. He could probably get by with about whatever he wants to, right? So what does David do? David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David acknowledges his, his sin. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm really sorry that you were hurt by this. Or, hey, you know, plenty of people would have done the same thing. No, David owns it. He confesses his sin. And I think it's important to say here that confession is more than an apology. Confession is more than just an apology. In her book, The Art of the Public Grovel, Susan Wise Bauer offers a helpful distinction when she writes, an apology is an expression of regret. I am sorry. A confession is an admission of fault. I am sorry because I did wrong. I sinned. Apology addresses an audience. Confession implies an interchange that will be manifested in outward action. Interesting difference, huh? So I tell you, let's go back to how the Psalms are so closely tied to David's experience in his life. And Psalm 51 is the psalm that's associated with this moment in David's life when he's remorseful. It's a prayer of confession. Psalm 51. David writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And so you see here, like David, we can recognize our dependence on God's mercy. We can throw ourselves upon his love. We can cry out to him for forgiveness. And then he continues, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, of course, you know, David's sin was also against Bathsheba and her husband. But yet this Psalm reminds us that the impact of our sin goes far beyond how we hurt each other. It actually hurts God. And the psalm continues, Created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, folks, the good news is this. In confession, we can ask God to make us new. We recognize that, you know, turning from whatever we've done or not done isn't just a matter of changing behavior. See, we need to be transformed from the inside out. And in confession, what we do is we surrender to the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. And what's beautiful about Psalm 51 is what we have is words that can help us express our remorse. And we find a, a prayer of confession right here that we can pray alongside David and millions of others who have made the choice to move towards God in the midst of their greatest failures. Don't miss this, all right? Our remorse doesn't have to lead to shame. Our remorse doesn't have to lead to shame. It can actually lead us to what we really need. God's grace. God's grace. Because God is for us. Our remorse can lead to what we really need, and that's God's grace, because God is for us. And that's the good news I think we find when we are genuinely remorseful. And I also want you to hear this. 
And maybe some of you came here today and you're wondering why. <laughs> and maybe it's to hear this right now. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. No one <laughs> is beyond the reach of God's grace. Yes, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we what? Help me out. If we, right, confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, God's grace is always greater. Greater than our biggest failures. Greatest than our largest mistakes. Greatest, greater than our deepest regrets. Greater than our darkest shame. And I don't know what you walked in here carrying today. But I, really, I want you to know this. God loves you so much that he would rather die than live without you. And so he gave up his life to bring healing to your fractured relationships. You see, our remorse can actually move us towards God. As the Apostle Paul writes, check this out. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And let me tell you something. These words were deeply personal to Paul because before Paul became a follower of Jesus and wrote this, you know what he did? He did everything possible to stop people from following Jesus, even if it meant taking people's life. So Paul knew remorse, all right? Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, yeah, you don't, you don't know what I've done or what I've been through or the stuff I've, you know, experienced. I'm like, well, <laughs> Paul was a murderer and he still experienced the grace of God. You see, remorse, folks, and if, don't, don't, don't miss this. Remorse can be a good, good thing if we allow it to bring us back to God. And so we're going to create some space right here today to confess. Because you don't have to carry out of here what you carried in. And you don't have to look for the exits. There's not going to be any public confession, okay? But I do want to encourage you in these next few moments, to, if you would, to, to maybe stretch yourself just a little bit and allow yourself to kind of lean in, okay? And maybe this is new for some of you. Maybe you've never thought about what confession really is all about or how it actually can draw us closer to God or that in confession we actually find freedom and grace and mercy, that God is actually for us, not against us. But I want you to open yourself, if you would, today to the work of the Holy Spirit because it's really just you and God and I don't know what this is like for you. Maybe the remorse you carry with you is in the forefront of your mind almost all the time, every single day. Or maybe you need to take these next few minutes just to allow the Spirit to kind of search your heart and to reveal some stuff that you've allowed to remain hidden. Whatever the case might be, I just want to encourage you and challenge you as, I, as gently and as um, purposeful as I can to allow God to use these moments because um, the band's going to lead us in a song of confession. All right? And uh, I just want to encourage you to don't let these moments be wasted. Um, just take a few moments and, and let God bring to mind what he wants you to confess. Maybe it's already right there and you just need to go to him and say, okay, God, you know, I, I messed up. I sinned. I did or I didn't do. Whatever it might be. 
if it, maybe it's a pattern. If it's a pattern, confess that to him too. If it's something you've been hanging on to for a long time, confess that too. Whatever it is, let this just be kind of a safe moment for you to go to God and, 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 and give it to him and offload it. Offload it. Experience his grace. All right, the band's going to lead us in a song and uh, take these moments as a time of confession. As we celebrate uh, communion this morning, I want to go back to that verse, uh, these words from the Apostle Paul to Christ followers a lot like us, uh, living in a city called Ephesus. He said, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The fact that he loved us enough to, to go to the cross to die. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I love that last phrase that he lavished on us. I don't know what word he could have used to describe uh, the extent of God's grace that would be better than lavished. I mean, when you lavish something, that's, that's significant, right? Uh, God wants to lavish his grace on us. And so as we receive communion, I want you to know that whatever you confessed, it's gone. You're forgiven. <laughs> We're the ones that hold on to it, not him. You see, when our remorse actually moves us toward God, we find what our hearts truly need, and that's God's grace. Again, because God is for us. And so if you would, peel back that, that top layer on the cup and the juice and take that little wafer, if you would, and I want us to together receive the grace that God wants to lavish on us as together we eat the bread. A reminder of Jesus' body that was broken for you and for me. And if you want to peel back that second layer, the cup, it's a reminder of Jesus' blood that was shed for you and for me. Let's together receive the cup. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity weekly to celebrate your death and your burial and resurrection. Thank you that you are for us and that we can experience your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we've noted, uh, the Psalms were written as a prayer book for the people of God. And, and Psalm 32, we've been looking at Psalm 51 so far this morning, but Psalm 32 is another Psalm associated with the story of David. And I want to use it to, to close out this part of our time together. And it's a Psalm that we can also pray uh, to help us experience the grace that can come through confession. And the Psalm begins like this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Again, see, it's God carries the load of our wrongdoing to keep it from coming between us and him. He covers our sin and he refuses to keep a record of it. He wipes the slate clean. Um, here's a prayer kind of version you'll see on the screen of those very verses from Psalm 32. And I want us to, to pray this out loud together, okay? And uh, I'm gonna read a line and then I just want you to repeat after me, okay? So I'll read it and then you say the same line. Ready? All right. 
Lord, I am blessed because you forgave all my rebellion. Lord, I am blessed because you cover my sin. Now I can enjoy your presence. You bless me by erasing my errors from your books. You don't even remember them. (laughs) Then the psalm continues, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And again, the writer here calls us to remember that, that tension we feel before confession, that unrest of body and soul. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've felt that before. And he points us to the crucial importance of confession for when we confess, we find grace. And then the psalm concludes, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. And again, here we're reminded that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the writer expresses his renewed kind of relationship with God, which is something we can experience too. And so let's together celebrate uh, the grace we've received as we pray, pray this concluding part of the psalm. And again, just repeat these lines after me, okay? Those who rebel against you have a hard life, but you show mercy to those who trust you. I am happy because I follow your principles. And I shout for joy because you make me do right. Amen. All right. Uh, When we are remorseful, uh, when we confess, the Psalms, as you can see, can actually help us move toward God and receive his grace. And when we do, don't forget he stands with arms open wide, lovingly ready to receive us. And so we're going to wrap up our time today together by... um, celebrating uh, the goodness of our God. 